amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're in Psalm 33, and this is a psalm of joyful praise, just declaring the praise to our Creator, to the one who is our preserver, our rescuer, our salvation, and the one that has just such great loving kindness toward us. And it begins by saying, Sing for joy to the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise, it says, is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praise to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song and play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Now that, what I just read you, is all one paragraph in the Hebrew. It's all one thought. Sing for joy to the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming. What does it mean, becoming? Suitable is another word that is from the, well, the Hebrew word is suits them or fits them well, is kind of the Hebrew root. It fits well to the one who is righteous to be giving praise to God. It's like something that would be, you would just kind of expect them to put on like a garment. You, you would say, those people that are upright, they always put on this garment. Well, we, we sing from Isaiah, put on a garment of praise for a spirit of, of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God, it says, and praise with the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. There's folks that, that are struggling. One of the greatest struggles right now is depression. This generation is fighting depression. And, and I don't remember growing up so many kids being depressed. We were outside playing with the ball and running around and climbing trees. And, and we never heard of kids being depressed. But there's a different culture, a different generation that is being not out there playing and doing stuff. They're on their little devices and they're sitting around. And, and unfortunately, there's a shift in the dynamic of whether we like it or not, there is becoming an isolation even through this great medium that supposedly connects us to one another, they're saying that kids are feeling more isolated and lonely. And one of the problems in loneliness is where our focus goes. We tend to shift our focus to ourselves. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? What is it? And how do I feel? And whenever it's me, me, I, I looking at ourselves, we've now shifted from the thing that we, we were created as vessels to bring praise to God. We were created to sing his praises. And this psalm says, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise, praise is becoming. It's soothing for you to be a person that praises. It's something we are designed for and fits us well. In fact, it is the, the cure for depression. You put on a garment of praise, like it's like putting on a, a cloak around your shoulder, putting it over you and covering yourself with this covering of praise. And it says, put it on for a spirit of heaviness, for a spirit of depression. If you're depressed, start praising. Where's your focus go when you're praising? But what's the whole idea of praising the Lord and singing his praises? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Who are we focusing on when we start saying how great the Lord is? And greatly to be, it's him. Our eyes now, whether we realize it or not, are lifted from our earthly circumstances, from our own earthly beings, to focusing on him. When our focus is down here, 
we can get depressed really easy. It's just our nature. We just do it. We don't even need coaching in it. What we need coaching in is praising the Lord, putting on that garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, for a spirit of depression. And it says, for the word of the Lord is upright and his work is done. All of his work is done in faithfulness. Now he loves righteousness and justice. And it says the earth is full of the loving kindness or the kingdom says the mercy of the Lord. How, how often is his mercy new? According to that song we sing, his mercy is new every morning and great is his faith. I love that, that his mercy is new every morning. What a sweet thing to be reminded of. This psalm is pointing out how God's mercy is poured out to the whole of the earth. Now, verse six says, this is the second paragraph, by the way, of this psalm. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all of their host, everything that is within. Remember, we studied about how Adam was formed from the dirt, the dust of the ground, and then the Lord fashioned him and then breathed by the breath. It says his breath into his nostrils, that breath of life, and he became a life, a living being. Well, by the breath of his mouth, it says all of the hosts of the heavens were made. And he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth reverence or fear the Lord. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. By the way, how did God make all this stuff? Do you guys remember? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. We, we studied in, in John chapter 1. And all things came into being. How did all things come into being? He spoke. He didn't, he didn't get, let, let's do a chemistry experiment and I'm going to see if I can make a little explosion and make stuff happen. And this is my laboratory. All he did was speak. By the sheer power of his word, everything we see was created. The Lord, it says, just commands by his word and it's done. Now, how would you like to do that? You just command by your word and done. We have some of his power given to us. Some people don't realize how powerful our words are, what we speak. But it's only because it's a shadow of the truth of how powerful his words are. And I do know that there are some false teachers running around today saying, we have the power what he had. We can create all what he created. Guys, I don't know how to tell you this. We don't have the power like he had. We have only the power which he enables us to have. And our words do have power. By the way, they do. And the things what we say has great power. Great power to either build up, the scripture says, to edify or to tear down, to destroy. How many people have had horrible things spoken to them that have torn them down? And the scars, forget that stuff. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never harm me. That's baloney. Some of my worst pains have been by words, not by, I, I would have rather been hit with a stick. would have rather had my bone broken because I've had bo broken bones and they mend. And once they're mended, they're done. I mean, yeah, you get some residual, maybe a little goofy pain once in a while, but the bone itself is actually quite a bit stronger in the areas where it's been, where it's cracked and rehealed. How about the pain of what someone has said a bad thing to you, a mean thing, a cutting thing, and they come out with some verbal vomit. And I have to tell you, those words can tear down and, and they can cause 
pains that they don't go away. Some of the hardest work for a pastor is to just encourage the flock to go to the Lord and let him, it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Boy, I spent a lot of time having to speak into people's lives saying, listen, God has done a work where he has come to renew you. It says, old things have passed away. Behold, I make, who said this, by the way? I make all things new. Jesus. And the things of the, the hurts, the pains of what people have spoken to you. Jesus came to take those things and just cast them away. So they have no more power over you. But the Lord, boy, the power that he has. In fact, his word can speak newness of life to a soul that is torn down and weary and feeling like just despairing. It's so sweet, the power of the word of the Lord. Well, here the psalmist just is pointing it out. Look, in, look at everything that's made. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord, it says, nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of peoples. He says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Verse 11, the plans of his heart go from generation to generation. It says, and blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. It says, verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. The warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse, he says, is a false hope for victory nor does it deliver anyone by its strength. This, by the way, reminds me of the psalm in Psalm 20. It says in verse 7, Some may boast in chariots, some might boast in horses, but we will boast in the name of our God. It's a false hope to put your idea that I'm going to be delivered because I have many horses, many chariots. No, the scripture says it's not that which delivers. Verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. I just recently shared with you the story of the four lepers. So here in the story in 2 Kings chapter 7, there was a famine so great the enemy had surrounded and hemmed in the Israelites into their capital city and they had been starving them. In fact, it was so bad, if you look at verse 24 of 2 Kings 6, it said it came about that after this, that Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, had gathered his army and went and besieged Samaria. And the great, it says there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they had besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, a fourth of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. And the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, and a woman cried out and said to him, Help me, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? He said, From the threshing floor or from the winepress? And the king said to her, What's the matter with you? And she answered, She said, This woman said to me, Give your son that we might eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we might eat him, but she has hidden him. When the king heard these words, it says he was 
the words of the women, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and, and behold, he was in sackcloth, it says, beneath his, on his body. So he's already humbling himself and crying to the Lord. That was the, hum, the humbling thing to do, put on sackcloth and, and throw ashes over your head and cry out to God, God deliver. Then he said, this is the harsh thing, I think. Then he said, may God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Saphat, remains on him today. So who's he blaming for the bad circumstances? Blame the man of God. Yeah, it's of course, it's always. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you the backstory. Was Israel really walking godly at this point? Honoring? The, no. And the Lord was actually going to use Israel's enemies to send a spiritual wake-up call to the Israelites and, and let this bad befall them to wake them up. But the king who God had already sent a message through Elisha the prophet to the king to tell him to keep walking uprightly, he's not doing what's right. And now, who's he going to blame for all of the consequences? These women killing the baby, and it's that prophet's fault. In fact, I'm going to have his head, behead that guy by the end of the day. And Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man from his presence, but... Before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet right behind him? Elijah was a powerful prophet. He already knew God had revealed to him, the messenger's coming to get you for the king. And so he tells his guys, hold the door shut. Don't let that guy in. When he gets here, because his master's footsteps are coming right behind him. And they must have been going, Why is this kind of kooky? What's he what's he talking? And then and then here comes the here comes the messenger from the king to knock on the door and the, he's like, Don't let him in. Well who comes next? The king. Yeah. He was in tune with the Lord. He knew. Here comes the, the enemy to, to take. So while it says they were still while he was still talking with them, behold the messenger came down. And he said, behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait wait for the Lord uh, any longer, he says. And then Elisha said, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. This is 2 Kings 7, verse 1. He says, thus says the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel. Two measures of barley for a shekel in the gates of Samaria. And the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, behold, if the Lord should make the windows of heaven, if he would make windows in heaven, could these things be? And then he said, Behold, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men. And this is the part I'd love to point out to you. There's four lepers. And just to let you know how bad it was. Were the lepers allowed inside the city? No, because they've got leprosy. So they were outside by the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine that is in the city, uh, we go in there, we're going to die. If we sit here, we're going to die also because nobody's, the lepers used to live from the food that was thrown, the scraps of food, that waste that was thrown over the wall into the city. We'd call it a, a dump, but they would scrounge it. They didn't have, there's nothing coming over the wall. They're selling a donkey's head for, you know, 80 shekels. They're, they're, nobody is throwing out anything over the wall. And so if we sit here, we're going to die. 
So now, therefore, they said, let us go over to the camp of the, of, of the Syrians. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, well, we but die. In other words, how good is their day going? We go in the city, we die. We sit here, we die. If we turn ourselves over to the enemy, and perhaps they spare us, I mean, this is a long shot, because they weren't known for being good guys. If they perhaps spare us, then we might get a bite. But if they kill us, well, we but die. Plus, they've got leprosy. It says that they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Armenians is the modern tra translation. When they came out of the outskirts of the camp, it says, behold, there was no one there. It says, for the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the sound of chariots and the sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and they fled in the twilight and they left their tents, their horses, their donkeys, even their camp just as it was, and they fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and they ate and they drank and they carried away from their silver and gold and clothes and they went and hid them. And then they returned and entered another tent and they carried away from there also, and they went and hid them. And they went and they, they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. And if we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go tell the king's household. They weren't, well, we just read the psalm here. It said in Psalm 33 that God is that, well, we sing, sing praise Joy to the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. The one that is upright is a person who does what's right in God's sight. And these guys, after two tents and some food in their belly and silver and gold and, and changes of clothes, and they had stashed their stash, and all of a sudden they're going, you know what? I'm convicted. We're, we're kind of hogging this all to ourselves. We better go tell the king. If we don't, punishment will overtake us. They are the first ones to find out that God has fought the battle for Israel. The guys who had it the worst get to see the hand of the Lord's deliverance before anyone else. It's interesting to me that this is everything that happened to Israel, it says happened to them for our example in Corinthians. They're the first guys to see God's deliverance, but they were the ones with the worst case, the worst scenario, the, the ones that have sometimes the worst problems seem to see God's hand at work before <clears throat> anyone else. And these, these guys got to see that the Lord delivered. Now, did the Lord send a mighty army from the Hittites or from the Egyptians? No. Did he send any army? Did he send down ravens and animals of the forest to, to charge the camp and chase away? No. What did the Lord do? I love this story. He used sound effects. I say that because it says he just caused the sound of a mighty army. The sound, like turned on the loudspeaker, turned up the volume, made the sound. Now, can you just see the Lord just goofing around? You know how I could just see the Lord's going, well, just, let's just fool around with them. You know, let's just do a little, make some sounds of an army coming, you know, clacking of, uh, of the wagons and the horses and the, and the sounds of the rattling of this, the swords and all of the stuff. And Lord, 
how much fun were you having when you were making these sounds and they and you're just cracking up as all the soldiers are getting of this bad bad army are getting freaked out and running for their lives and he must have just been just sitting back laughing the psalmist says that the lord's the one who delivers our souls from death and he can keep us alive in a famine but the way that he can do it is you know to the lord he doesn't have to have very much to deliver it says god can deliver by few or by many in this case god didn't even need an army to deliver he just made the sound of an army show off you know he's just having fun let's just play with these guys well they run away and you guys know the rest of the story right the lepers go to the to the king they say hey king we found the whole camp is empty they ran for their lives and the king says it's a trap it's a trap they know we're so hungry they're trying to bait us out there and one of the fellows says listen give me one of the last horses i'll go check he checks he finds out that nope they're really gone they fled when um the end of the chapter chapter seven of second kings ends with telling us that the king he appointed the royal officer who was in charge when they came back he said no they really had they thrown their stuff down they ran for their lives and all the stuff is there and the king it says he put the the royal officer that he was there leaning on uh, his staff by the king he said you go down and keep the um, order you know go to the gate and have the people go out in an orderly fashion and it happened that just as the man of God had spoken to the king that two measures of barley would be sold for a shekel, a measure of fine flour for a shekel, it said so, it said it would be sold tomorrow at this time in the gates of Samaria. Then the royal officer, verse 19 tells us, that he, the one that answered the man of God and said, now behold, if the Lord should open or make the windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, behold, your eye will see it, but you will not eat of it. So it happened to him that the people trampled on him at the gate and he died. He got to see that it was going to happen, but he didn't get to partake of it, just like the prophet said. He got the job of, everyone, let's leave orderly and go get the food. Did they leave orderly after starving? I mean, if, if women were willing to boil their baby, make a pact, we'll eat mine today, we'll eat yours tomorrow. These are not people who are thinking it's a good day. When they hear that there's food outside of the city, they take off. And they, they ran over this fellow. They, they actually, he actually gets trampled to death. But the Lord delivered. He delivered their soul. He kept them alive in famine. And this is the psalm. Psalm 34 is declaring this. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He's our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. He's the one that is, well, he's, he's worthy to be praised. You know, if you think, how many times has the Lord delivered you? Really, think about how many different times has the Lord pulled out some miracle to look after you? You, you would have certainly been a smear on the sidewalk, except that an angel of the Lord just pushed that car just barely as it was hurtling towards you out of the way or pushed you out of the way or how many times can we look back with hindsight and see how the hand of the Lord has protected our lives how he has delivered us how he has come through when we are in a bad way 
And we are like, we just don't know how we're going to make it. And then the Lord just pulls off one of his miracles, sends some, some angel to your door with groceries. Now, how hard is it for the Lord to send groceries to your door when, when you are crying, Lord, we're hungry? He has, he, he's got a lot of angels he can send on assignment. And, they, and, you know, they have this way of they can show up and then they can disappear. Because one thing I found out, they don't have to stick around for you to spot them or even to know they've been there. They can just do their business and be gone. Poof. In fact, that's why I'm pretty sure I've had a few brushes with angels just because they do their work and they're gone and you don't even get to find out who they were. You don't even get to see them. Bible says, beware, lest you would entertain an angel unaware. You know, they could take on the form of a man, show up at your door, and you wouldn't even know. And then they'd be gone. And I look back, I think, how many times has the Lord delivered me? I mean, I make the joke that my angel's still going to be the one with the flat spot right about here on his forehead from going, ay, yeah, yeah, again, I got to go, I got to get the, ah, here he goes again, and has to rescue me. But but I make that as a joke because so many times I've seen the Lord pull off these miracles to deliver me. And I love this psalm that says that he is the one that delivers. Delivers from the famine. He delivers from the problems. He's the one that whatever it is, is going on. We just got to remember it's the Lord that has the power to preserve us. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.